Hey everybody, thank you so much for not only taking the time to listen, but also for subscribing and sharing this podcast with your friends and people who you think could use a dose of motivation in their daily lives. The support is really beginning to grow, and it's with that support that I'll be able to continue providing you with episodes filled with people who have wrestled through challenges to become unstoppable in their lives. So again, thank you for your support. It's really easy to get caught up in the day-to-day things. We wake up, go to work, go to school, run our errands, and go to bed expecting to repeat the process the next day. But what happens when the next day doesn't play out like we expect? How would you react if one day you were given news that would forever change your life? What would you do if you were forced to wrestle a monumental challenge that you didn't expect? Matt Newman has wrestled such a challenge. We often learn some of the greatest lessons in life when we go through the deepest and darkest of times. We face this paradox where we're given a new set of lenses. We see things differently. We gain a different appreciation of the now. We learn to live in the moment. And when we're handed that understanding of the fragility of life, everything around us changes. And we're gifted with the clarity. It's how we perceive that clarity. Today, we're going to talk about the fragility of life, finding positive outlets, and the importance of having the right perspective. I'm Anthony Robles, and welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast. What does unstoppable mean to you? Unstoppable is just a, is just a mindset and a way of life. I think it's just uh, not being, being afraid to fail. Relentless. I can accomplish anything I want to accomplish. When I set my priorities right, when I walk with God, and when, again, I, I live with that mindset, being the best that I can be at every moment. I think there's nothing more powerful on earth than the human will. Anthony Robles has shown us that impossible is nothing. Anthony Robles is a national champion. You're listening to the Unstoppable Podcast with Anthony Robles, brought to you by Safe Streets. Please welcome today's special guest, Matt Newman. Hey everyone, before we start this episode, I'd like to take a moment to recognize our sponsor. Today's homes are getting smarter, and so are today's homeowners. When it comes to protecting your home with the latest smart home technology, the smart choice is Safe Streets, the only ADT authorized provider in the country. To schedule a free home security evaluation, call 844-980-SAFE. That's 844-980-7233. All right, Matt Newman, how you doing, man? Dude, I am doing great, Anthony. I can't tell you how much I was looking forward to this. I'm excited to catch up with you. I know it's been a while since you and your wife have been out here in, in Arizona. We had dinner together, man. So I was really excited to just follow up, see how you're doing these days. Uh, you know, it's funny. The memories you have of the dinners that we've gotten to have a great privilege of getting with you and Laura. One is I love that I say to Laura, I'm picking the wine. You just sit down. I'll take care of that. <laughs> the other is, and I'll share, I'll share a little story here on it, is that after my book came out, we came out to Arizona and we went out to dinner. We went to the Fat Ox. I remember, I remember it like yesterday. And we meet you guys out there. And that was a book that I wrote that I know we'll talk a little bit. I wrote it for me. It just made me feel better. I never expected a soul to read it or anything. You find when you go through difficult times, a catharsis, an outlet for things to alleviate the burdens that are on your shoulders. Mm-hmm. And mine became writing. And I remember getting up and I went to the restroom and I came back 
and there was a book with a marker sitting right next to it. And I looked at it and I go, what's this? And he go, you got to sign that for me. And there's a picture of me, bright red, embarrassed that I kid you not, I will email going like, why do you want me to sign it? Like, And I was actually like weirded out by the whole thing. And that was my first experience with someone actually reading the book that I sat down with. So I'll always remember that and always be thankful. Oh, I'm honored, my friend. It was a terrific book. And I've actually like, suggested it to numerous friends and passed out as gifts before in the past. And I mean, you're someone that I greatly admire and look up to for everything that you've accomplished and everything that you've gone through. You mentioned your book, you're an author, you're a speaker. And I know you've also had a successful career in financial services. So can you just talk a little bit about that part of it, your financial service business and, and what exactly you do and how you got into it? Yeah, absolutely. And I, one of the things I talk a lot about is that the U.S. education system, I actually feel is flawed. And I did a TED Talk on this. And when I point that out, my mother is a, was a school teacher. Mm-hmm. My father, a financial advisor. They're two completely different occupations. And what happens in life is you get these seeds planted in you from the people you grow up with. Mm-hmm. And those seeds often don't bloom till later on. They make no sense. You're given these lessons and you're like, whatever, I don't wanna hear any of that. But at some point they will pop and they will expose themselves. And you'll be able to use that information that you learned at a, a much earlier age. Mm-hmm. So I graduated from the University of Delaware in 1996. And I'll always remember wearing this beautiful blue cap and gown, Maya Angelou, had just given our keynote speech. Wow. It, it, was, it was awesome. That's amazing. And my, and my mom and dad come on the football field where the graduation was. And I grew up right outside New York City in Northern Jersey. And my father gives me that look and he's like, not bad, right? I'm like, that King has arrived, college graduate, right? <laughs> he goes, what do you think you want to do now? I go, dad, that's easy. I, I want to become a financial advisor. I want to work with you. I'm going to clean this language up for your audience. But in my father's very thick Bronx accent, he goes, there's no bleeping way you're joining my firm. Every picture of me at graduation, I'm like, (laughs) jerk. (laughs) Like, What he was doing, Anthony, he was giving me one of the greatest lessons in life. He's saying there was no free lunches. Mm. He's like, go out and earn it. Get licensed, figure it out. If it's something you take to, it's a passion, it's a craft. We'll talk in a few years. And that made sense later on. So I just wanted to get licensed, learn the business, and then join his firm. So I became what's called a wholesaler. Uh A wholesaler is someone who gets the same licenses for the most part that a financial advisor has, but they work for a company that does manufacturing. They will manufacture a mutual fund, a 401k, annuity, life insurance, whatever it may be. And then we'll go sit with the financial advisors and try to show them why they should utilize our products and situations in the best interest of their client. And it was something that I just took to. And these these flowers started to bloom inside of me. And I started to understand this is the stuff I was taught. Mm -hmm. And going back to what I said about the US education system, we don't explain to people when they graduate, how do you pick your benefits? I agree. Yeah. What's a 401k? We train them to go into the real world, but people often want what they can't get. People want life insurance and they can't get it, long-term care when they can't get it, some type of financial plan after they lose 30%. Now, I remember sitting down with my father right as I started my career. And he said, I want to give you three lessons. I said, yeah, dad, you know, I'll take you. He goes, number one, if you don't believe in the products or you and a family member wouldn't own them, don't sell them. You lose the battle to win the war. I said, yeah, dad, I agree. He said, number two is you always be honest. At some point, if you're not, it will come back to roost. If you're always honest, you put your head on a pillow at night with no problem. I said, yeah. And he said, you got a soccer scholarship to college. 
take that work ethic, combine the other two, and great things could happen. So I always looked at it as almost like a financial advisor, but just from a different perspective, because I said the same message every day. The job of the financial advisor is to be there when things are bad, to give people good news at the deepest and darkest of times, to have a plan in place prior to the negative, to alleviate regret and resentment during difficult times. People mistake financial planning for investing. It's really not. The basics of planning is hmm. you have a will. You're about to get married. Yes, sir. I think you're going to have a beautiful family in the near future too, which means you're going to be taking on more responsibility. There's something called a, a power of attorney. God forbid something happens to you. You're pointing out that Laura will make all the decisions. These are things you could do on LegalZoom for like 19 bucks, but there's no education on them in any way whatsoever. So once most people need it, they realize, well, what do I do now? Oh, oh why didn't I do that? I would have, could have, should have. And they're defining their legacy to their loved ones by not having done little things because they weren't made aware of it. So that was my message and that was my mission. And I remember in 2000, so this started in 1997. In 2002, I was the number one person at my company. In 2003, I was one of the top people in the entire industry. Wow. I remember my dad sitting down with me going, not bad, kid, right? I'm like, yeah, dad, hanging in there, right? He goes, I think we should talk about you joining my firm. I said, you can't afford me any longer, dad. That's over. But I found my passion. I found my way to utilize the tools that I learned. And I was lucky to be in a family learning that and transpose that into my business. And I've been doing that for about 24 years now. Oh, that's amazing, man. That, that, that's funny about your dad. Tried to recruit you back when you're <laughs> the did. hot star. huh? <laughs> <laughs> and I agree with you. I mean, coming out of college, I wasn't made aware of 401ks and IRAs, all that sort of financial planning. I, I, I didn't have that knowledge. And so you're right. Now that I am close to getting married, I'm thinking about all these things like, man, I need to get these things in order. And I think that's something a lot of people tend to overlook is, you know, we, we kind of take life for granted at times, right? Things are going well. And it's kind of like, well, I, I got plenty of time. I don't have to worry about this. I can push it down the road. But you're right. It's, it's extremely important to plan now because we don't know what's around the corner, right? We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Well, life's extremely fragile. And unfortunately, we're often placed on a path and that path will take different turns that we have absolutely no control over in any way whatsoever. So what starts to happen is that it builds up this negativity and angst of things that we could have done, but we were just uninformed about. There should be some type of education that imposes in people the basics. You start to make a lot of uh, money and things, well, find yourself a great financial advisor. I'm not saying that, but how do we know how to pick a benefit? When we get into the real world, some people graduate high school and they start their career. Some go to college and they do grad school, law school, medical school. It siphons down to less and less people, but at no point is there ways to help people have an understanding of preparation. And I think that's a disservice. And that's why we see so many people in difficult situations. You think everyone's rainbows and unicorns. The reality is we all have scars. We all have battles that we've taken on in some fashion. And we don't often understand the fragility of life until we're dealt that hand of cards. Mm -hmm. And the more power we have behind optimism and attitude, the better we will do going forward. Unfortunately, people who haven't done the proper type of preparation, they're defining the legacy for the family. What if my kids, have, what if my wife has to sell the house? 
What if my kids won't be? When you start doing that woulda, coulda, shoulda, and you fall down that downward spiral, the odds of getting out of that are extremely low. What we want to do is we want to be able to give people kerosene on their fire during difficult times so they could fight with everything they have inside of them and define themselves in that fashion. And that's something I think, unfortunately, too many people find out after the fact. Yeah, I agree with you. And you, you mentioned that fragility of life. And I know there are times in life where we're faced with adversity. And you and your family have dealt with this on a level that most, they can't even imagine. Can you just take us through your journey of, of, of what you went through? Yeah. So basically what happened is I got married in 2006. I met the girl of my dreams in 2004. I'm a Jewish guy who grew up in right outside New York City, like I said, mom teacher, dad financial advisor. Mm -hmm. My wife, who you know very well, grew up in mining country, Pennsylvania, a Catholic girl who grew up in a 500 square foot row home with a mom who was a janitor and a father who was a construct highway construction worker. Two completely different upbringings. And I always heard all this negativity about in-laws and issues you could have. My father-in-law, he liked to hunt, he liked to fish. He liked to grow vegetables, he liked to fix things. I did none of that in any way whatsoever. <laughs> But we both loved to watch baseball and drink a beer. And I was determined to turn him into a Yankees fan from a Phillies fan. That was my goal right there. <laughs> they were wonderful people. And I, I was privileged to have them in my life. And unfortunately, at 60 years old, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Mm -hmm. My first experience with cancer happened when I was 15. My grandma, Grandma Harriet, was diagnosed with cancer. I wasn't old enough to understand it or digest it or get the reality of it. But one day she was Grandma Harriet. The next day she was wearing a cancer turban and the next day she was gone. What I do remember is what it did to my mom. My mom spoke to my grandmother every single day on the phone. Every weekend they were at our house in Parsippany. We're at their house in Fairlawn, New Jersey. My mom couldn't stop crying. She became a different person. And I wish I could have been there. I wish I could have hugged. I didn't get it. I was 15, but I built up this hatred for cancer. It changed my family on a dime. It didn't care about us. It didn't care about our plans in the future. It did what it wanted, when it wanted, and it was evil. My wife and my father-in-law were in a very similar situation. My wife is pregnant with our third child. We had two kids under three. Man. And she drove him 45 minutes down to the University of Pennsylvania for his Whipple procedure, then for his checkups, then for his chemo and radiation every day. She never she never complained. It was an honor to see what real strength is and to see how support is truly taken on. I could not have been prouder. She took care of the kids. She took care of me. And she was there for her dad the entire time. It was inspirational to be a part of. Unfortunately, pancreatic cancer, you got a pretty short shelf life. Average is usually about six months because you don't feel the ramifications of it until it's already spread. Mm -hmm. I remember Larry, who was my father-in-law, sitting with me going, I have two goals. One is I want to see all three of my grandkids born. The other is I want them all to be old enough to have memories of me. He was a warrior. And I was so proud to be a son-in-law. Never, never complained. Just did what he needed to do to fight. So unfortunately, cancer is like a roller coaster. Up, down, you're doing well, you're not doing well. And the story just keeps going all over the place. Yeah. Two and a half years into it, and I'll keep it short, I'm driving on a snowy, icy day in a town called Bridgewater, New Jersey. That's where you and I met each other, actually, for the first time. Yes, sir. And I'm driving up, and there's fender benders all over the side of the road. And I'm like, 
not today, man. Like I'm, I'm doing 25 miles per hour. I just don't feel like dealing with it. I pull up to a traffic light and my car hydroplanes right into the car in front of it, smashes into it, flips over into the median. I'm holding onto the steering wheel, the air bob, airbag pops. And I'm thinking all that working out I do is for this moment right now. I get out of the car without a scratch on my body. The That's police incredible. come running over. They're like, dude, you got to get to the hospital right now. I'm like, nah, man, beast mode. I'm cool. I'm good. They're like, you got to get to the hospital. So I call my wife up. Who's at someplace called the King of Prussia Mall, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners have heard of. And she's taking a little break from Larry's chemo as his roller coaster is going this way. Mm-hmm. And I tell her what happened. She goes, You go to the hospital. I'm like, No, I'm okay. I'm just going to rent a car and be on my way. She goes, Don't forget about our friend Karen. We have a friend named Karen Mancini who's driving in a town called Bluebell, Pennsylvania. She's sitting at a traffic light and a car flies in and T bones her. She, the police say she should go to the hospital, get checked out just to make sure she's okay. Three hours later, two doctors walk into the room and say, we want you to send a thank you note and flowers to the person that hit you. We just found a brain aneurysm. You'd be dead in the next three to four hours. Man. I thought about my wife. I thought about my children. And like a type A personality, I got in a tow truck. We took my car back. I rented one and went on my way. That night I get back. My head is killing me. Larry sitting on the couch from chemotherapy emaciated. Rebecca, my wife, suffers from something called chronic migraines. She gets them all the time. That's one of the reasons you know we want to be in Arizona is yeah, because yeah. She, it, doesn't, it doesn't hit her as bad out there in the dry air without the allergies. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting at the kitchen going, oh, my head. She looks at me. She goes, did you go to the hospital? I go, no. She goes, I don't want to hear about it. Uh, try having chronic migraines. Nice try. Over the next week, the pain got so severe that it became impossible to deal with. It was nonstop, 24-7, but it wasn't about me. It was about Larry. It was about my kids. It was about the family. So as the pain's getting worse and worse, two weeks into it, I lost all ability to sleep. I would pass out on the couch next to Larry at 8.30, wake up at 10, couldn't go back to bed. I'm still continuing to go through my day doing everything I need to. And I'm giving a speech in that same area in Bridgewater you and I were. And as I go to make a point, and I speak professionally, I mean, I speak professionally in financial, and now it's it, it's global. But back then, speaking in public was normal. I was doing it two to three times a week in large crowds. And I go to make a point, And I felt a hot flash hit me in the face. Hmm. And slur and gurgle poured out of my mouth. I didn't know where I was. I didn't know what was going on. I remember seeing myself standing outside my body going, you are having a stroke. You are having a stroke. Felt like an eternity. Turns out it was about five to seven seconds. I got myself together. I'm like, oh, dealing with sinus infections. My kids aren't sleeping. Let's bounce back into this. I was scared out of my mind. And over the next three to four weeks, I had nine more of these strokes. I had one when I was training for the Broad Street Run. It's the largest 10-mile run in the country in Philadelphia. It's something me and my wife do every year. Had one when I was training, one when I was driving, others when I was talking to people, and just slur and gurgle would pour out. On May 14th, 2013, I was given a speech in my hometown of Parsippany, New Jersey. And for the 11th time, I felt the hot flash hit me. I was like, that's it. I'm done. I finished my meeting. I got in my car. And I decided to meet my wife down at Capitol Health in Hopewell, New Jersey Hospital. Mm-hmm. It's about a 90-minute ride. 
And I'm thinking, all right, this is good. They're, they're just going to tell me what's wrong. They're going to fix this. I don't know, maybe I'm going to die. I, I don't know. My head's spinning all over the place. She's taking care of uh, her dad. She's at the King of Prussia Mall. As you could tell, we're putting those people's children through college there. <laughs> and uh, she drives to meet me over there. We meet in the parking lot. We walk in, we hold hands. And they say, we got to give you a CAT scan. I'm like, CAT scan, right on. No big deal. It's cool. So they give me a CAT scan. And they come in three hours later and go, we know the problem. I'm like, yeah, diagnose it, fix it. What's the deal? It's enough already. This is too Let's much. Going. They say, you have a lesion right here on the left frontal lobe of your brain. Now, here's what most people don't realize. Regardless of the industry you're in, finance, medical, uh, an engineer, doesn't matter. We all speak a language in our industries that most people don't understand, the vernacular. It's like when you go to your mechanic and he's like, let me tell you what's going on. Here's what's going through my mind. Dude, how much does it cost and when can I pick it up? I buy you. I have no idea what you're talking about right now. A lesion to me was a cut or a bruise. And I'm thinking, car accident. Mm -hmm. I probably went like that with my head. He goes, it's causing massive pain. I'm like, yeah. He goes, that's causing you not to sleep. I'm like, yeah. And he goes, Mr. Newman, you're not having strokes. You're having seizures in the left frontal lobe of your brain, which affects memory and speech. As difficult as that sounds to take, I was like, yeah, that's okay. All yeah. right. What do we got to do? What's we got to do an MRI, an MRA, blah, blah, all this other stuff. So I'm going in and out of the MRI too. At about uh, two, three in the morning, they come up to me and they go, we got to do one more. We got to do it with contrast. So Rebecca says to me, she goes, I'm going to go home. And we live maybe 10 minutes from the hospital. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make lunch for the kids. At that point, I have a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a two-year-old. I got to find a ride for my dad to go down for his chemotherapy as the roller coaster has gone back down that way. And I'll be back in an hour. I said, take your time. I'm going to be in this tube anyway. So the nurse comes in with a wheelchair, goes, all right, Mr. Newman, MRI, MRI with contrast. Let's jump in the wheelchair. I'm like, I've had it with the wheelchair. I just did the race. Eight days ago, I did a tough mutter a little bit before that. I'll walk. Yeah. Liability, Mr. Newman, you got to jump in here. So I jump in the wheelchair. She grabs the clipboard. All right, Mr. Newman, MRI, MRI, MRI. We got to do it with contrast this time. We need to see how big your brain tumor is. What? I go, it's a lesion. And that's the moment at 39, I was diagnosed with brain cancer. Man, that's insane. So she just came out nonchalantly like, Need to see how big your brain tumor is. Like that was, yeah. And, and I have no issue with it because the doctors, when they said lesion, were using their vernacular. terms. Yeah. When Rebecca left, she called one of our best friends, who's mm -hmm. the head of uh, pediatric anesthesiology at Columbia Presbyterian. He's godfather of one of my children. We love him. He knew exactly what it was when she called, hmm. because that's their language. Yeah. You don't teach in bedside manner ways to communicate. And that's a variety of different industries. Mm -hmm. That's why it's so important to just talk the language that the other person understands. Yeah. Keep things simple. So I have no angst, no anxiety, no, no negativity over that. They were just speaking a language, but when that hit me, reality said it. Man, that's crazy. So you're, you're alone and you get that news. I mean, how did, how did you react to that? I mean, there, there had to have been so much just going through your mind at that moment, and there's no one there to lean on, you know? Like, what did you do? So they put me in the tube for an hour and a half. It was a long one. They brought me back. They plugged me into about 30 different machines, and they told me that uh, the surgeon and my wife would be coming in at some point. I just started to cry. And I started to have retrospective on my life.
And I started to think to myself that there's something I must have done for this to happen. I started to think, I'm a good father. I'm a good husband. And these thoughts ranged through my mind as tears came down my cheeks. And then I saw something. Strength is not how big our arms are. Strength is not how much we bench press. Strength is something that's located deep down in our bellies and at the deepest and darkest of times we could find it, we could grab it, we could own it. I didn't know I had it in me. I saw it and I knew it was mine. I will define myself. This is my journey. Cancer is just along for the ride. I will never allow that to be my legacy in any way whatsoever. And I grabbed it, I took it, and I just started screaming and cursing my brains out. And the nurses who to this day tell the story come running in, they go, oh my God, oh my God, are you okay? I said, I'm fine. If this was, that was my pity party, it's over. If I'm going down, I'm going down swinging. And I learned a new perspective on living in the moment, appreciating the now. I was gifted with this new set of lenses I was seeing life through. Boom, instantly. That's the trade-off. Cancer is going to come into me. I'm going to get something from that. And I saw it. And when I started to take that in, I had no fear from that point forward. And a little bit later, about an hour later, my wife walks in with the surgeon, Dr. Mintz, and she's wiping her eyes. Your son, your husband has brain cancer. You know what that means to people? He's gonna die. Mm -hmm. your, your dad has pancreatic cancer, he's gonna die. You got three kids under five years old. And the doctor looks at me, he goes, let me tell you what we're gonna do. I go, let me tell you what you're gonna do. You're gonna get this crap out of my head and I'll take care of the rest. He goes, let me tell you something, Mr. Newman, you're gonna get a craniotomy. We are going to do a full, pull your brain back, pull your head out, pull your jaw out. You have a tumor in there. We're going to take it out. We won't know the severity of it for 10 days. And we're going to do that on Friday. He goes, but don't move. And he brought me a study from the American Medical Association. And it was about defeating disease. There's some diseases that will that will take us physically. There's nothing we will do, but they will never take us spiritually. And we, And if we allow the disease to define us, that's on us because we control the way others view us and the memories that we leave. But what's fascinating is it talks about there's some disease you have a chance to beat. And I could make the argument this goes past disease. Do you know what the number one component to giving yourself the best, best odds to win are? Attitude. Hmm. We've all heard the story about the married couple where they've been married for 50 years. They never leave each other's side. Husband gets sick. He dies of cancer. Wife's healthy as a horse. What do we often hear happens six months later? She dies. There's something called the downward spiral. And the downward spirals, if you fall into that with regret, resentment, negativity, evilness, all this stuff, the odds of getting out of it are low. All this surgeon did is pour kerosene on my fire. And my wife looks at me and Rebecca goes, our parents are gonna be here in about a half hour. Here's what's interesting. You know what I immediately thought? My father-in-law is not coming. My cancer partner is. I immediately stopped believing in irony. He was there to show me how to act, how to fight, how to have independence, how to have dignity, how to propose the way that I want to be remembered for who I really am deep down inside. And I said to her, I go, do me a favor, give me the iPad. She goes, yeah, no problem. And when she gave me that iPad, it brought back a memory. I remember right before my kids were born, my dad sat down with me. He said, what do you say every day in your industry? Our job is to be there when things are bad. Our job is to give people good news at the darkest of times. Our job is to have a plan in place prior to the negative. He said, do you do everything you talk about? I said, absolutely. He said, did you do your will, your power of attorney, 
Did you set up your life insurance? You're taking on more responsibility now. You're going to have children. I was like, dad, come on, beast mode right here, man. You know, yeah, running races, doing so. He goes, so you don't do everything you say. Hmm. And in the summer of 2007, I took two weeks and did all of it. Everything I ever talked about, I was doing. That's the way we were the shoemakers. Kids have shoes. We are going to, everything we talk about, we are going to embrace as well too. So what happened is I pulled that iPad up and I looked at my will. I looked at my power of attorney. I looked at our college, but I looked at all this stuff. And that was the moment I realized every speech I ever gave in my career was actually about me. I just didn't know it yet. And it allowed me to avoid regret, negativity, all that weight that piles up on you of I should have done this. It was like, okay, what's next? Let's beat the crap out of this thing. I ain't going anywhere. And when my, my in-laws and my parents walked in, Larry didn't say a word to me. He just nodded to me. And I'm laying in a hospital bed and I just nodded to him. I told my dad to sit on the bed. And I did the same thing. I showed him everything. And I took the iPad and threw it on the bed. I said, dad, there's only one thing on my mind. So I, said, I go, beating the crap out of this thing. I'm going to do everything I got to do because I ain't going anywhere because my family means more to me than anything in the world. And I am not leaving my children. And anybody could position this any way they want. For the first time in my life, I saw my tough ass dad from the Bronx break down and cry. And I didn't. And he looked at me, he's like, you're going to beat this. I go, I know I'm going to beat this. And these are the stories you're going to share. These are the realness that you're going to let other people in on to let them know how it could give you that extra fight, that motivation. And now that did was fire me up more for the inevitable operation that I was going to have on that Friday. I believe there's an unstoppable spirit in us all, but sometimes that unstoppable spirit should be stopped at the door. That's why I've partnered with Safe Streets to help stop would-be intruders and porch pirates from ruining your day. Right now, Unstoppable listeners can get a free doorbell camera and $100 Visa gift card with new system activation and installation. Let Safe Streets help protect what you value most. Reserve your free doorbell and $100 Visa gift card today. Call 844-980-SAFE or visit safestreets.com slash unstoppable. Yeah, it's such a powerful story and so many things I want to dig into. Yeah. I mean, I, I love how you know, you say when you're in that tube, you know, you just, you just cried out and you started screaming and it, basically that was just kind of like your battle cry, right? It's like, okay, yeah. I'm, I'm ready to, I'm focused. I'm ready to go to war with this cancer. And 100%. I love how you said, yeah, I like how you said, I'm not going to let this define me. I will not let cancer define me. And I think that's critical because I mean, take with what we're dealing with right now, for instance, you know, in, in the world, it's like these things come up, there's challenges. And it's like, it's easy to let those things just break us down and that become our identity, right? What Absolutely. we're facing, what the obstacle is. You know, you know, I'll take it a step further, Anthony. You're, you're, you're dead on on your point, but we control that. And I know I mentioned that earlier. So if we allow that to happen, that's on us. Mm-hmm. We can literally, there's things we take on. There's challenges that are thrown our way. There's unfortunately negativity that's going to be pouring out in different capacities. But the memories we leave for others is who we really are. How we connect with them through realness and purity, the deep-rooted heart connections that we're making, sharing honesty and integrity. And if we allow ourselves to be remembered for the negativity that invades us all, that that that's on us. That's what there's very little we have control over. We control our time. We control our emotion. We control our reaction. There's certain things we do have ownership in. And if we choose to give that up, that's on us. 
Yeah, I agree with you 100%, man. And uh, another thing I like is what you said about your father-in-law. He, he became your war buddy, right? He oh, became no someone that, that, that you were looking to and, and you saw as someone who how to fight the cancer. And I think that's a critical thing as well as, you know, we have to look for that support system around us, right? You had your family, you had uh, those individuals who you could lean on uh, for that love and support when you needed it. Because going forward, I mean, can you just share about the, the chemo and radiation treatment that you had to go through? I mean, I've heard stories just how intense that is on your body. So how were you able to mentally, you know, as you're going through this war, how are you able to mentally just be able to withstand those highs and lows as this is just hitting your body and, and, and taking its toll on you? It's, it's a great question. And I'll share a good story with you about chemotherapy. I, once I went through surgery, I think health and wealth are extremely correlated. I think they really are more than most of us realize. I try to eat healthy, stay in good shape. We, we've talked about all this before. Mm -hmm. I got uh, operated on on a Friday. I had a full craniotomy, my head pull, like I mentioned. I went home on Sunday. I think being in good shape helped me to get home, to get out of the hospital, to alleviate a lot of the bills that are going to be there as well. Yeah. So going forward on that, I found out 10 days later that I would have to go on chemotherapy, that I had a grade three astrocytoma, which was an aggressive cancer, which there's a good chance it will probably grow back in the same spot. So every three months, I'd have to go in, get another MRI, and hopefully over time, that would go to four months and five months, but they're going to be looking at, this is something I'm involved in for the rest of my life. This is not, okay, it's gone, and it's over. Mm -hmm. And they said, you're going to have to go on chemo. And I remember being in the doctor's office, the oncologist, and you think of chemo as a port you put in your body, and that's the way it's going to be. There's a different type of, there's a, a ton of different types of chemos for depending on what you have now. Mm -hmm. So I was going to take something called Temidor, which is a pill. It was a pill that I was going to take every day with radiation, and then after radiation, four times a month, but each time it was going to be popping up big time. Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting in this guy's office. I got a wife beater on. Um, I'd already started working out again or whatnot, and uh, you know, he's like, just be smart. I go, he's like, I want you to take a pill called Zofran. It's really good for your stomach. Take it at night. Wait 20 minutes, take the chemo, and go to bed. It'll try and make it as easy on you as possible. I'm like, dude, I'll take it right now. Just give it to me. Let's start this process. He's like, I can give it to you. He's like, I'm trying to tell you the best way to do it. I'm like, mm -hmm. give me that thing. I, I just beat that operation. I beat it. Give me that. I'm a, I'm a warrior. He goes, okay, if you want. So I take the pill. And Rebecca says to me, she goes, do you want to go out for lunch? I'm like, yeah. And I still have a huge scar. And you know, I'm still, I, I can't be driving or anything. Yeah. We go to lunch. And I'll never forget this. It was the first day of the U.S. Open that was actually being played right near us at Lower Marion in Philadelphia for golf, and it was raining all day. So they'd play, it would stop. They'd play, it would stop. And we go out to lunch, and all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my God. And I just start throwing up like crazy. I can't stop. She's got to throw me in the car. That was the moment I realized the realness and the severity of what I was taking and how this was not going to be some cakewalk. And this was going to be a challenge. And that was okay for me. I was ready for it, but it put me in my place very quickly. But what happened during radiation, I mentioned strength, is I started to learn it from a different perspective. So I was in this mode of work out every day at five o'clock in the morning, put my suit and tie and I'm going to work. This is my life. It's my journey. I own it. I'm not giving it up to cancer. Cancer is just sitting there. It's riding shotgun in my car with me. That's about it. But this is mine. So. They told me radiation, they start at 7 a.m. I said, I'll be here at five in the morning if I could do that. I want the first one. Yeah. He said, you can't have the first one. 
but you could be here at 7.10. The first one's at 7. Radiation's a quicker process than you would think. It, it, it's tough on you. And it piles up over time and it causes tiredness and, you know, angst and, you know, just beat you up. But what's interesting is you're only in this like, you know, basically like an x-ray type thing for like eight minutes and then you leave and you do it for 30 days. So the woman before me who had the 7 a.m. So I would get there at like 6.45 in the morning, have my iPad just worked out. This is my life. I have this new gift of appreciation and understanding the moment. And her son would walk her in. My guess is she was in her early 70s, extremely emaciated, maybe four foot 11, maybe 70, 80 pounds, which you started to see pretty regularly in a lot of the situations I was in. And he would hold her hand and he would walk her to the booth. He would then come in the waiting room where I was, sit next to me, and then go get her eight minutes later and I'd go in. About two weeks into it, they come to me, they go, Mr. Newman, this is her last session. Would you like the 7 a.m.? I said, I'll take it. I'll, I'll be here at 6 a.m. if you'll do that. It's, I know around 3 o'clock my day is going to be over. So the earlier I could start, mm-hmm. let's do it. She goes, Mr. Newman, if you'd like. We have a, a ceremony. When somebody finishes radiation, we sing songs. We say prayers. And they ring a gong to enjoy that appreciation of what they've just been through. Would you like to join us in the other room? And I said, you know, I'm okay. Thanks. You know, like when you're done, just come get me whenever you're done, but I'll just wait here for you. Mm-hmm. And I opened my iPad up and I saw my reflection. Can I speak freely on this? Tell you exactly what happened. Absolutely. And when I saw my reflection, I said, who the f- do you think you are? We're a f- family, a family of warriors. How could you not be part of this? I put my iPad down and I walked into the hallway and I saw this woman and you know where her path is going. She grabbed that gong. She rang that thing as hard as again. She had the biggest smile on her face and I just started to cry. And I saw real strength. This was her moment. She owned it. Everything about it was hers. Her son was crying at a happiness at that given moment. And I called my wife and I said, when I go through this, you're going to be here with me. This is something that you'll never forget. And it changed my perspective instantly on how hard chemo is, how hard radiation is, but how rewarding it is in the legacy that she was leaving by showing the strength and vigor that she provided. And it was an absolute honor to be a part of. And I was put in my place very quickly how we are all connected in some fashion. Yeah, man, that, that's so powerful, man. Thank you for opening up and sharing. I mean, I, I just can't imagine going through what, what you've gone through, you know, to be in that experience and what that lady had to go through. And, and you are warriors, you know, and today there's going to be someone who, who gets the news that they have leukemia, or there's going to be a mom who walks out of a doctor's office with the news that she has breast cancer. And so they're going to, they're going to be faced with that decision. Am I going to let this cancer define me or am I going to be a warrior? Am I going to fight? Am I going to move forward? If they were sitting in front of you right now, what would you tell them about just making that decision about just moving forward with this, this huge challenge that they have to fight, that they have to defeat? Yeah, well, one of the things I would absolutely point out to them is, is to remind them that it's your life. Mm-hmm. Do not submit it to what took it over or that's what we will be remembered. And the other thing I would point out to them, which I think is extremely important, which happened to me, is you have to find a catharsis. For all the optimism that I had, 
all the belief, all the strength. I used to write. Hmm. At the beginning of our conversation, I said something to you. I said, my father was a financial advisor. My mother was a school teacher. And they planted these seeds inside of us that would bloom at some point. I started writing. I never wrote in my life. The seeds for my mother started to bloom as a teacher and someone who wrote. And so what happened is I started sending these email messages out to friends and family. And I started sharing my perspective, my living in the moment, understanding the now, having this new set of lenses that I could see life through. I have a clarity of basic stuff that never made sense before. Anthony, I did it 100% for myself. It was like vomit. Once I wrote one, I never read it. It was like, boom, I'd send it off. I had to go get a test, Ugh, stress, get it out. And what we start to realize is if people don't have a catharsis perspective, they don't have an outlet, mm -hmm. we're pushing all this stuff deep down into our belly, all the negativity. If it doesn't find its way out, you're going to combust. So that's the point I would bring up. Like you have to find something, yoga, something, whatever it's going to be that you could outlet it to maintain a good perspective. And I would send these out. So what happened is four years into it, I had 20,000 people following my emails. I wasn't on wow. social media. Here's what I would get every day. Matt, could you put this person in? Could you put that person in? This person, they read this. I'm going to tell you why I never thought about it. Because I was doing it for myself. It made me feel better. And I started to realize cancer was like buying a car. You buy a car. You leave the lot. You go, look at that. I see the car everywhere. Wrong. The car was always there. You never noticed it until you had a direct connection to it. And then you saw things differently. And I started to realize every family has some type of contact or some relationship with it. And then it started to be other things, depression, dizzy, all this. People are just looking for inspiration. They're looking for realness. They're looking for someone to drive them, to let them know they're not alone on the path that they've been placed on. And they're sick of just some shtick or some statistics someone's going to give them on their opportunity. Mm -hmm. So I decided to write a book. I wrote that book for me. I had to continue to use this cathartic measures I was taking, I, I was utilizing. There's no ghostwriter. There's no business plan. There's no nothing. Straight March up. Just did it for myself. So I'll share this with you. March 23rd, 2018. My book came out almost three years ago. And I called my mother in Parsippi, New Jersey. I go, hey, Ma, the book's coming out tonight. I'm going to tell you exactly what you said. Those of you like TED Talks, this is on one of the three TED Talks I've done. She goes, you know, no one's ever going to read it, right? I go, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares about me? I'm someone. She, she goes, but you're going to put three copies in your safe. It's when your kids are old enough. They'll be able to read the reality of what actually happened. I said, I couldn't agree with you more, Mom. And a week later, we were number one in four categories on Amazon, and my jaw hit the ground. No, expect, no expectation at all. And that's when I start to realize people are attracted to realness and purity. That's what they're looking for. They want, they want to find their inspiration through someone else who's been in something similar to them. And that's something you can equate to and relate to on a different level. It's the honesty and integrity you bring that truly drives people because they know, so I'm not alone. And it doesn't matter what their issue is. And that's when I started speaking. And when ESPN called me the first time, I mean, I know you've dealt with that more than I have. I thought it was a crank call from my brother. I'm like, yeah, right. Yeah, sure. Yeah. You guys want to talk. And then I got a call back and why aren't you returning our call? I'm like, this is real. <laughs> right there. And things start to change. And what you start to realize is to answer your question more deeply is you made a, 
a point before of how important support was. Some of us are blessed. We have amazing families. We have friends and all the all these things that are there for us. I started to realize a lot of people don't. And messages started to come in every day of announcing what you did. I just got diagnosed with this. Someone got hit with that. Um, I almost committed suicide. And those are people who really need some type of outreach. And that outreach is doing a lot more than most of us realize. And that's a responsibility. And I could use the term obligation that many of us are gifted with, that we can really connect with people on a different level because they want to know that life is not all rainbows and unicorns for everyone. And those that talk about it, they can find some commonality with. And I never saw that coming. Well, I mean, you, you definitely have the gift and, and you are, your book has been a blessing. I, I was reading that uh, it's one of the, it's number two uh, cancer eBooks of all it's time. Crazy. Selling, I, I don't incredible. know what the ranking. Yeah, I, I get those messages and you're like, I literally just did it for myself, man. But I want to give one point real quick because you and I talked about this a little before. The key is not getting through the situation you get through. And I'm leaving a bunch of, there's helicopter crashes, as you know, there's all crazy stuff going. The key is never giving back the gifts you've been given. Hmm. And we all know the person who's lost a ton of weight a couple of years later, they gain it all back. Person who went through a life-changing event, a few years later, they're healthy, they give it all back. It's finding something that will always remind you of the journey that you've been on to make sure that you never give back those gains. And that's something that I wrestled with and I finally figured it out. I'm more than happy to share it if you want. Please, please share. So what I decided to do is one day I'm talking to the surgeon and I said, I wish you didn't do such a great job, man. He gave me the look like, what? I go, now, if I shave my head, you see a huge scar that goes here. But when I have hair there, you can't see anything. I go, I wish it was bad. I wish I could see it all the time. He goes, what? I go, that way, every time I got in a bad mood, every time I had a negativity of an ambiance around me, I'd look in my rear view mirror and go, calm down, man. Appreciate life. So what I started to do is I started to realize that I have a story that I wanna make sure I remind myself of every day. And that's when I started doing all the art on my arm. And the first thing I did was a lion. And I did that lion because we have the heart of a lion and the fight of a warrior inside of us. We all have it. Sometimes you just have to go find it. And that lion meant something to me. And then it was warriors that you put on there. Then it was different types of warriors. Then I know you can't see this too well, but those are the three cubs, which are my three children, which I keep right to my heart. And I did that for me. And I know you and I have talked about that because we both have that, that love for it, but it, it was only for the reason is every day I wake up and take a shower, what's the first thing I say? Keep yourself in check. Reminders are important, whether it's a yellow sticky on your computer, whatever you find works for you. But as you go through life, do not give back what we're being taught because it'll just set you back in time instead of letting you, you know, appreciate what you really have. Absolutely, man. Well said. And that, that's something that I do as well with the sticky notes, but my tattoo is similar to you. Everything has a meaning to it, right? I have a, a koi fish on my, my bicep and it, it represents perseverance, you know, through those hard times. 
And I think that's something we all, you're right. We all need every single day, uh, that constant reminder to force us to shift our perspective onto what's right, right? To not lose track of what we've been through, what we've gone through, what we've learned, um, because it is easy at times, right? It is easy to just kind of forget those things. It's like when I was wrestling, I, I, I would get into a tough match and I would basically forget everything that I learned in practice, right? Everything I learned how to combat what was in front of me. It's like, no, those lessons that you've gone through, don't forget those things, write them down like you did, or you know, just do something to constantly remind yourself of what you've been through, what you learned, so you can move forward and continue to grow and evolve as a human being. That's exactly right. And if we give them back, that's on us. Mm -hmm. I, I look at it as a lot of the things I've taken on in life for the negativity to it, there's a silver lining that's in there. And by taking advantage of that silver lining and finding the gift that's in the negative, the evilness that comes with a lot of stuff, if I give that gift back, that's on me. So there's things we could do. There's coaching that we do. There's speeches. There's quotes. There's what we can find that goes, hmm, okay, don't remember who you are. Mm -hmm. Remember where you came from. Remember where you're trying to go. Don't get off that path or you could be put in check really quickly. These are things that there's no, there's no classes on this. But I know that every time that I take advantage of remembrance, and appreciation and the lessons that I've been gifted with, it's humbling. And sometimes humility really puts us where we need to be at a given moment. Definitely. Definitely. And Matt, I mean, just your experience, your journey, thank you so much for sharing with me. And I mean, it just sounds like going through it, I mean, you have the perspective now, you know, I mean, I just want to ask you, because we live in a world where a lot of times it's just kind of, it's about how much we can get, right? It's like the, the cars, it's the money, it's whatever. Like just how has your experience just going through life, how has it changed your perspective on what's most important? Because I, I think especially right now with what we're dealing with, we have to remember what's most important because you know, there are people who are struggling uh, just going through their day-to-days, you know? But I think it's important to remember what, what's, what we're blessed with, right? So how did it shift your perspective? It's a great question. I've always been very into business, as you know, and we have multiple businesses and we do different stuff. And, you know, it's, it's revenue. It's all this other stuff. The learning how important the moment was, was something that I'll never let go. And, and I'll give you an example. And I'll give you one last story here, not to beat, beat you up for time. But I remember day five after my surgery, mm -hmm. I'm a train wreck, man. Like I'm, I'm banged up like you wouldn't believe. And my five-year-old son at that point, Luke, had his five-year-old Father's Day picnic at Pennington Montessori School. And my wife's like, you don't need to go to this. You're a train wreck. I, I said, no, I'll never miss this. I'm seeing life differently. You know, I, I, never, I'll never miss it. So that morning, me and Rebecca take Luke, Jake, and Lola. Lola's two, Jake's three, and Luke's five. We take them to school. I'm just riding shotgun. And we walk in and she takes the two boys to her classroom. I take Lola. And I hold her little two-year-old hand and we walk over to her classroom and she takes her little pink jacket and she puts it on the little hook. And she looks up at me and goes, thank you for taking me to class, daddy, I love you. Mm -hmm. And I just started to think, why don't I do this more? 
Because every time I've done that in the past, I got my phone. I'm looking, oh, it's my next appointment. When's this? When's my next? You know what I'm doing? I'm teaching her lessons that it's okay to not make it about the person you're with. I'm being gifted with this new light, this new sense of it's about her. My, my phone was in the car that day. I had to go through this to learn to make it about the person that I'm with because I'm giving them life lessons. I'm teaching them. I'm showing them what love is, what appreciation is. And later that day, I'm a mess. And Rebecca's like, you do not have to go to this lunch. I'm like, I'll never, I will never miss it. So she drives me up to the lunch. Luke's waiting at the door. Gives me a big hug. He goes, I love you, daddy. Thank you for coming today. And it's a brown bag lunch. So everybody takes their brown bag lunch for 30 minutes. You sit in the backyard next to your son and you have lunch. And we sit down and I am the happiest person in the world, rainbows and unicorns. We walk in, I'm giving him a hug. I'm just, I'm euphoric. I didn't know this day could ever happen. And I didn't know if it would happen again in the future. And we sit in the backyard and I look up, smiling my head off. And I see every dad like this. And oh my God, that was me. At that point, I had a Blackberry and a phone. I had no anger, no animosity. But what I realized, I was taught a lesson that this wasn't my lunch. This was Luke's. And the memory that I'd be leaving if I didn't make it about him was something that could cause disdain later on in life. So there's one lesson I try and do all the time that I learned from that that I'll never get back. I don't bring my phone to the dinner table. For 25, 30 minutes, I can't have lunch and dinner with my wife and kids. And you started to see that the more you focus on what's important to you, the better the outcome. I love it, man. Thank you so much. I've learned so much from just listening to you share your story today, man. Thank you. Oh, it's an absolute honor. I, I got to say, I love the podcast. I was so proud to hear you were starting this. And the stories that you're creating, the people that you're talking to is something amazing. And you're doing wonderful things for people out there. And I couldn't be more excited to be on it, but I couldn't even be more prouder as a friend to see the great stuff that you're doing. And so excited for what's going on with you and Laura as well. Too. I appreciate it, my friend. Thank you. It's such an honor. I love this podcast and just what it's about and just sharing that message of positivity. But again, it falls back to that support. You know, I couldn't do it without special people like you who are willing to be so gracious with their time to answer my questions and share the journey that they've been on, those struggles that they've gone through in life. So if it's okay, I would just like to close out with what I like to call the short time questions. A couple sure. more questions. You basically, man, you just fire up the first thing that comes to your mind. Is that all right? Do it. All right, man. Here we go. What's your favorite motivational book or movie? Unstoppable by Anthony Robles. <laughs> Great book, I hear. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a favorite motivational quote? I do. Change breeds complacency or change breeds opportunity. Man, I'm writing that one down right now. That's mine, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put your name right next to it, bro. <laughs> Final question, Matt. What does unstoppable mean to you? Unstoppable means never give up. Plain and simple, man. Matt, again, thank you so much for your time. It was so great to catch up with you. And hopefully we can get together again in person and have some dinner again, man. It's been way too long. I look forward to it and can't wait, my friend. <laughs> All right, bro. You take care and tell the family I say hello. Absolutely. You as well. Matt made a great point about the necessity of having a positive outlet in our lives to help clear our minds of any challenges or negativity that we might be facing. We all need a break. 
we all need time to mentally recharge. So if you don't have an outlet in your life, make it a point to find one. I also thought it was powerful how he said that when it came to confronting his cancer, he had the power. At some point, you might have to wrestle a challenge that may seem overwhelming. It might shake up your entire world. If you find yourself in that position, take a moment and remember what Matt said. You have the power to define yourself, not your challenge. This is your journey. That's it for today, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today's episode is brought to you by Safe Streets, the leader in smart home security and automation and America's only ADT authorized provider. Safe Streets will help protect what you value most. To talk to an expert and get a free quote today, call 844-980-SAFE. That's 844-980-7233. The Unstoppable Podcast is a production of Anthony Robles Enterprises, LLC, in partnership with The Really Good Home Podcast. I'd like to thank my editor, Laura Batista, producer Katie Pulatunoff, and my senior producer, Andy Frazier. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Have a great day, and remember, be unstoppable.